This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode features depictions of violence, abuse, murder, and suicide. Listener discretion is advised, especially for children under 13. Anton paced back and forth, shaking with anticipation. The pre-dawn light seeped into the sepulcher, casting the stone arches in shades of pale blue. On any other day, he'd be on Charles Bridge watching the morning sunlight illuminate his city. But today, he had to be inside a convent, rearranging paintings. He had spent all night going over this exhibit in his mind, how each artist's work complemented the next. As the curator, he needed to be the invisible hand guiding tourists and athletes alike through the gallery. If a single piece was poorly chosen, the guests would feel it. Anton stopped his pacing when he heard the music. The convent hadn't been an active place of worship since the 18th century. So where was the music coming from? He pivoted, following the sound of the strange choir. Anton's pace quickened. This could not do. He was here to run a gallery, not a music hall. He couldn't think with these voices echoing through the halls. He had barely traveled ten paces before the convent was silent again. He breathed slowly, allowing himself to relax. He turned to resume his work. A black shape blocked his path. She wore the trappings of a nun. Her hands, extended before her, were red and dripping. There was a gash across her chest, parting the black cloth to reveal mangled flesh beneath. Her eyes were hollow and filled with tears. Almost 800 years of misery in a single bone-chilling gaze. Welcome to Haunted Places, a podcast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the Convent of St. Agnes in Prague, an ancient monastery turned art gallery and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. You 
In Prague's old town, by the south bank of the Vltava River, sits the Convent of St. Agnes. Constructed in the 13th century, it is one of the oldest and most important historical buildings in the city, and a must-see for anyone visiting the Czech Republic's capital. The convent is named after its founder, Princess Agnes of Bohemia, who was born to King Otakar I in 1211 CE. Agnes was originally set to marry another royal child, the 10-year-old King Henry VII of Germany, when she was eight years old. However, after six years of betrothal, the arrangement was abruptly canceled. As her father and other rulers of the time schemed to devise another match, possibly to Henry III of England, Agnes came to the realization that she wanted no part of any political marriages. The 15-year-old princess dedicated her life to prayer and holy living. One of her would-be suitors, Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II, reportedly said, If she had left me for a mortal man, I would have taken vengeance with a sword. But I cannot take offense, because in preference to me, she has chosen the King of Heaven. Agnes's sudden piety had plenty of supporters within the royal family. Her older brother, King Wenceslas I of Bohemia, donated land to his sister for the purpose of establishing a monastery. Up through the 1230s, Agnes oversaw the construction of the convent, which was built in the style of early Gothic architecture. During this period, she began corresponding with the Order of Poor Ladies, also called the Poor Clares, a female equivalent to the Franciscan Friars. The head of the order, Claire of Assisi, was moved by Agnes's faith and sent five monastics to join Agnes in Prague. Agnes's correspondence with Claire of Assisi continued until Claire's death in 1253. Claire often expressed deep motherly feelings for Agnes in her letters, though the two never met in person. Both a hospital and a place of worship, the Monastery of the Holy Savior was a refuge for paupers, lepers, the sick, and the unwanted. It housed the poor Clares as well as a number of Franciscan friars. Agnes spent all of her life in the cloister, up until her death in 1282. Though she was granted the title of abbess at the age of 26, Agnes preferred the less ostentatious title, Senior Sister. Under her watchful eye, the convent became a place where anyone could feel safe within its walls. But not all members of the cloister were there by choice. A particular legend persists about a woman who felt trapped within the holy buildings, trapped in a life she never desired. Elena's feet ached as she marched down the streets of Prague, she was probably developing corns from all this marching. Guards flanked her on either side, spears held at the ready, should she try to flee. On her father's orders, they would take her to the convent and only leave her side when she had been passed off to the poor Clares. Under the guards' wary eyes, she felt like a common criminal, but her only crime was falling in love with the wrong man, her beloved knight errant. Carell was not like the thuggish brutes in her father's employ. He was strong like them, but that strength didn't corrupt him like it did other men. Beneath the hardened, battle-scarred exterior, his eyes were gentle, and when he held Elena, she felt the world disappear around them. 
She didn't care. He had no money, no lands, and no title but knight. He was her knight, and that's all she cared about. Elena knew her father would not approve. Lord Mikolash may have only been the head of a very minor family, but he was proud. They were distantly related to the Verashothsein line, which had been among the most powerful families in Bohemia. Her father was obsessed with them reclaiming their family status. One fateful night, she approached the door of her father's chambers. She would finally tell him her secret and request his blessing. Her cousins had already married for profit and their family standing. Why couldn't she marry for love? The room was dark when she entered it. Her father stood at his window, moonlight dancing in his eyes. He had never looked as distant as he had then, outlined in the cold blue light. Stealing herself, Elena told her father that he need not worry about finding her a husband. As she explained, he turned toward her. His eyes were hard glints of obsidian in his skull. She could feel a storm cloud hovering over his brows, ready to unleash lightning at his command. But she pressed on anyways, telling him of her love for Karel, how he made her happy. Mikolash had not yelled or screamed. He told her in a calm voice that she mustn't make japes like this. She was rich and Karel was poor. The rich and poor cannot love each other. She told him it was no joke. She intended to marry Karel. Her father seized her by the arm and dragged her to the bedchambers. He flew her roughly to the floor, saying that he'd lock her in a convent if she did not cease this foolishness. She did not think he would really go through with it. They arrived at the convent by midday a week later. The poor Claires looked kindly on her, but Elena felt no warmth in return. They were not her sisters. They were her jailers, always watching to make sure she was committed to the pious life her father had forced on her. During her first few days, she only spoke to the others when absolutely necessary and spent the rest of her time praying. At least that's what she told them. In truth, she was not praying. When she knelt by her bedside at night, she was lost in her own memories, reliving her few precious moments with Karel before her father had torn them apart. But in a way, her prayers were answered. As she walked dutifully to the hospital at dusk, she saw a shape in the distance near the bank of the Voltava. It was a man looking in her direction. Her heart leapt. She knew that frame better than anything. It was the one she saw every night in her dreams. He had not abandoned her. He knew rescuing her was a fool's errand. Her father would know at once. But he loved her too much to let her waste away with the poor Claires. Their night together was everything Elena had hoped for. For a blissful few hours, hidden away within the walls of the convent, they were free free from her father, free from her duties, free from everything but each other. And then it was all over. The door to Elena's chambers burst open. In the doorway stood Mikolash, flanked by the sisters. His eyes burned with fury at the couple, lying entwined in each other's arms. 
He had tracked Garel here, Alana realized in horror. He knew the knight errant would not leave her side simply because he had ordered it. She tried to plead with her father, but his eyes never left the man lying by her side. In three quick strides, Mikolash crossed the room. He seized Karel by the neck and threw him against the wall. Elena struggled to her feet, pleading the whole time, but it was no use. He was no longer her father. He had become a wild animal. Mikolash drew his sword, its engraved silver crossguard glinting at the torchlight. Karel's sword was still in its sheath, lying up against the wall. He was defenseless against the enraged lord. Mikolash lunged at Karel. The poor knight only had a moment to react. He reached for his weapon, fingers grasping the hilt. Elena screamed as her father's sword pierced the heart of her true love. Mikolash withdrew his blade, panting from the exertion. Blood blossomed on Karel's chest. He shakily raised his hands and stumbled toward his killer, empty hands grasping madly at the man's collar. Elena's father shook him off, and he fell, shuddering to the floor. Elena's mind went blank with despair. Without thinking, she charged her father, beating at him with her hands. He spun on her, ignoring her weak blows. There were tears in his eyes as his blade bit into her chest. Elena did not feel the cut, but she felt the blood. It seeped through her gown, pulling her down with inexorable finality. It was so heavy. She sank to her knees, vision swimming with tears. Her father's gore-streaked sword hovered in front of her face. She wondered how much of the blood on the blade was hers, and how much was Karel's. And then she hit the floor. Karel's body was turned away from her. She could not see if there was any life left in him. She tried to plead with the sisters to turn him over. She wanted to die looking into his eyes. But the sisters did not move. Their expressions were frozen, a gape in terror at what this man had done on their doorstep. The last thing Elena saw was the shape of her father shouldering his way through the door, a trail of blood following him into the city beyond. She hoped it would follow him for the rest of his life. St. Agnes Convent was an establishment founded on riches. Though Agnes of Bohemia was canonized as a saint in 1984 by Pope John Paul II, none of her devout actions would have been possible if she was not born a princess. Her own wealth and social standing made her renowned life of charity possible. But not all women saw the life of a nun as a blissful escape from the need for a husband. The single ghost of St. Agnes Convent is a far less venerated member of the sisterhood. No one even knows her name. All we know about her is that her noble father objected to her falling in love with a poor knight. Incensed by the possibility of a family scandal, the father flew into a jealous rage and killed his own daughter on the same holy ground he had banished her to. 
In some versions of the story, he kills her low-class lover as well. Whatever the truth, the poor victim of this act of violence has been cited, wandering the convent's grounds many times throughout history. Her appearance varies. Sometimes she's weeping for her lost love. Sometimes she's silent, watching the living with a sense of calm acceptance. And other times, she is drenched in blood. In a moment, the spirit of the murdered nun refuses to rest. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. It is said that in the 1230s, Agnes of Bohemia founded the Knights of the Cross with the Red Star, a religious order of men dedicated to the healing of the sick. This was the first Czech religious brotherhood and the only order of holy knights to be founded by a woman. It is still in operation today. After Agnes's death in 1282, her older sister, Kunigunda, succeeded her as abbess. But even with a member of the royal family as its representative, the glory days of the convent died with Agnes. Her older brother, King Wenceslas I, was buried beneath the monastery, and none of his successors had as much interest in investing in monastics. Membership of the cloister slowly dwindled, until it was barely a skeleton crew of nuns and Franciscan friars keeping the monastery afloat. And at the dawn of the 15th century, all of the convent's occupants were forced to leave their home entirely. Bohemia was at war. More than that, it was a holy war. The Pope had declared a crusade against the Hussites a year ago, and the chaos threatened to tear their country apart. Sister Hannah tried not to concern herself with politics. She was pledged to her order and her only duty was to the sick and wounded who passed through her monastery. At least it had been. The fighting had gotten too close to the city. The Franciscan friars had already fled Prague, fearing persecution by Hussite mobs. Eventually, the abbess told them at their morning gathering they were to abandon the convent as well and make for the monastery of St. Anne. Tonight was the last night Hannah would spend in the walls she had grown to know so well. Sister Gabriella had tried to comfort Hannah, but it was no good. Hannah loved this old building. She knew it was selfish and very unchristian to feel so possessive, but she hated to think of these walls being used to store weapons of war. After caring for the mangled and mutilated bodies of men sent to fight the Crusaders, she had a hard time seeing the glory in it. Hannah did not sleep at all that night. She stared at her window, praying silently. When she ran out of prayers, she wept. And when she ran out of tears, the weeping continued. Hannah rose and stared out her window. 
A dark shape lurked in the moonlit courtyard. It wore a habit, and its shoulders shook with sobs. From her window, Hana couldn't quite tell who it was. It was one of her sisters, without a doubt, but there was something unfamiliar about her countenance. As she stared, the figure seemed to disappear, swallowed by the semi-darkness of the courtyard. A chill ran up Hana's spine. There was nothing out of place in the courtyard, but the image of the nun was so vivid in her mind, she could not have imagined it. She threw on a shawl and ran out to where she had seen the figure. Whoever it was needed comfort, and that was something Hana was skilled at giving. But when she reached the grounds, they were empty. Hana looked around. It was so quiet that she could hear her own heart beating. She feared this would be the last quiet the monastery would ever know. Soon it would be filled with men and horrible machines of war, swords, spears, and hand cannons. Even if their cause was righteous, she could not condone using a monastery as an armory. A clear ringing sound pierced the silence like a needle. Hana turned, searching for its origin. Her eye caught a glint of silver by the stone wall. She stepped over to it, almost without thinking. At her feet lay a single silver coin. She picked it up and turned it over in her hand. An ordinary coin. A strange glimmer of hope fluttered in her chest. One of these could buy bread for a score of beggars. Perhaps there was some good she could do outside of the convent. The sound came again, further along the wall. Hana followed it and found another coin. This one was frayed at the edges, like it had been cut out of a sheet of silver with a hot knife. As she marveled at the metal, a glow spread from its center until the entire coin was like a star in her hand. A moment later, Hana felt a searing pain follow it. She dropped the burning coin with a gasp. The bright metal spun through the air, the glow dwindling until it was gone. Hana never heard it hit the ground. She looked up to see the shape again. Across the courtyard, it moved steadily, more gliding than walking, toward the chapel of the Virgin Mary. Hana followed, keeping her pace with the weeping woman. She did not wish to startle one of her sisters if she was on her way to a midnight prayer. Perhaps she could even join her. Such grim times called for solidarity among the faithful. Hana was happy to step inside the chapel. The wind felt especially cold tonight as if the weather itself was trying to stifle the heat of the conflict. Hana shook off the childish thought. The chapel felt more barren than it ever had. It looked like it was ready to be abandoned. The thought broke Hana's heart. A few paces ahead of her, her sister had stopped. Her head was bowed, but she still wept. Hana approached slowly. When she was close enough, she reached out and touched the woman lightly on her shoulder. A shiver passed from the figure through Hana. Her sister's shoulder was icy cold to the touch and felt strangely insubstantial, 
like trying to grasp at a lace curtain. Anna told her sister she had no need to worry. Their order was not one of walls. It was their hearts and their faith that kept them together, not the buildings. God's will would get them through. Her sister turned, and Hannah finally got a look at her face. But something was wrong. Hannah knew every single one of her sisters. This was not one of them. Though she wore the threads of their order, her sunken cheeks and hollow eyes were completely alien to Hannah. Her skin was gray and cracked, like the frozen streets of Prague in the winter. Twin grooves ran down from each of her eyes, as if so many tears had worn her face into empty riverbeds. And then, the strange nun opened her mouth to speak. Her tongue was frayed, and its inside was caked with some dry black substance that looked like burnt coal. When her words leaked through, Hannah felt the strength leave her legs. The specter told Hannah that it could never leave. And then it asked her a question, its voice breaking in the most unsettling way. What would she do without her sisters? Hannah withdrew her hand from the other woman's shoulder. It came away sticky with blood. She backed away one step at a time. This time, the ghostly nun looked after her, unblinking. Its eyes seemed to pierce the gloom with their own unnatural light. When Hannah reached the entrance of the chapel, it stood and began to follow her, strange, unwavering expression boring into her soul. Hannah tried to step through the door, but her foot caught on the stoop and she fell onto her back. The other nun loomed over her. For the first time, Hannah noticed the gash running along her garments. Blood pooled around Hannah until she could feel her entire back coated in sticky, clotted liquid. She yelled at the spirit, commanding it to leave her be in the name of God the Father. It simply looked down at her. It did not seem to notice her invocation. It looked lonely. Hannah awoke the next morning, slick with sweat. She lay in her own bed within the cloister. When the nuns left that morning, she did not even look back. She wanted to forget that cursed place. But even as she walked out onto the streets of Prague, she felt eyes on the back of her head. The eyes of the one being that could not abandon the convent. The St. Agnes Convent is one of the most unique complexes in Old Town Prague. Originally constructed to conform to Gothic-style architecture, it underwent several renovations throughout its early history. The final campus would include a mixture of both Gothic and Romantic styles. However, during the early 15th century, it seemed like the convent would be abandoned for good. On the 12th of June, 1420, the war between the Holy Roman Empire and the Bohemian Hussites reached Prague. A furious battle, the Battle of Witkoff Hill, took place just outside the city itself, causing many in the Bohemian capital to worry for their safety. It was a decisive Hussite victory, with between 100 and 300 crusaders killed. 
In the subsequent chaos, monasteries became a target for anti-Catholic sentiment. Male monks fled the city for their lives. Nuns were spared execution. But even so, the convent of St. Agnes was abandoned for the remainder of the Hussite Wars. Some of the convent's buildings were subsequently used as armories for the Hussite war effort. Others were rented for housing. After many years of war, the nuns were permitted to return, but their numbers had dwindled over the years. In the 18th century, Holy Roman Emperor Joseph II led a series of religious reforms, which included a severe reduction in the number of monasteries across the Roman Empire. With his rule, the St. Agnes Convent was finally deserted for good. Only one nun remained within its walls. When we return, we'll explore the murdered nun's unique relationship to the convent's visitors. Now back to the story. Since its closure in the 18th century, St. Agnes Convent has been enshrined as a historical site. Its first renovations began in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, continuing up until the National Gallery purchased the property. Today, it features a significant exhibit of medieval bohemian artwork and is open to the public for visits. It's even used as an event space where the best Czech musicians, poets, and artists come to perform their works for attentive crowds. And those who bring a lover there often spy a strange and unsettling figure lurking nearby. Ada was always nervous before a performance. She ran her bow over her violin strings again and again, testing to make sure it was in tune. She only stopped when she got an annoyed look from her pianist. The man was right. She knew her violin was in tune. That wasn't why she kept plucking at the strings. Her source of anxiety was no doubt entering the convent at that very moment. He would be watching her performance. Dominic. Theirs had been a whirlwind romance. They had met in Cross Club several months ago, and their chemistry had been immediately electric. They partied the night away, dancing all the way into Ada's bed. And now, he would be here to watch her perform at one of Prague's oldest historical sites. She told herself it was going to be great. Her stage fright and her lover's anxiety would both dissipate the moment she started to perform. She just needed to have faith in her own abilities. Ada stepped out under the lights, alongside her fellow musicians. She could hear the audience more than she could see them. Her vision was almost completely eclipsed by the hastily erected stage lights. Slowly, her eyes adjusted. A sea of faces swam into view, politely smiling, expectant faces. She searched the crowd with her eyes, looking for Dominic's firm jawline in the crowd. She did not find it. All she saw were the faces of strangers and a gap between them. Negative space in the center of the crowd, where one extra seat should have been filled. As she stared at it, the void started to grow in size, swallowing the other audience members around it. A wave of despair struck her. She teetered on the edge of the stage. If she fell into that black hole, she would be alone forever, abandoned in the dark. 
A sharp cough from her pianist broke her out of her trance. She slowly lifted her violin and began to play. The world fell away as she drew the bow back and forth across the strings. She breathed an internal sigh of relief. All her worries about the outside world, even stage fright, slipped from her mind like summer rain. She was gliding along sheet music, fingers guided by the notes in her head. She almost didn't hear the other instruments as she played. Suddenly, a pair of blue eyes flashed into her vision. Then, a confident smirk. She felt her concentration falter. Features of Dominic, piece by piece, floated into her mind's eye. He was looking at her with the same cocksure expression she had seen him wearing in Cross Club when they met. He's probably there now, picking up some other woman with promises of happiness. Something sharply lashed across her knuckles, causing her to drop her violin. It clattered to the floor. One of its strings had snapped and struck her on the fingers. The audience was quiet, stunned. In a daze, Ada looked at her fingers. A white streak played across her knuckles where the string had cut her. Not harsh enough to draw blood, but it stung horribly. She grasped her hand, trying to squeeze the pain out of it. The other musicians looked at her questioningly. She stammered an apology and stumbled off the stage. Ada stepped out into one of the hallways, cursing herself under her breath. She had never messed up a performance this badly before. And yet, some part of her knew that if she picked up her violin again, she would only make it worse. Dominic's face would appear before her again, and another string would break. Eventually, she would only have one string left, and then she would lose everything. Something about the air didn't feel right. Ada had a hard time breathing. She reflexively reached for her pocket to check for text messages from Dominic, only to remember she left her phone in her car. A walk would do her good. Putting one foot in front of the other, she walked down the arched hallway. Soon, it opened up into a gallery. Glass cases littered around the room in spots of white light. Something dark moved against the glass of a nearby case. A shadow? Or a reflection? Ada turned. Nothing. She looked back to the glass. It was cracked, a corner missing. This must have been recent, otherwise it would have been replaced. Inside the case was a chunk of stone with a woman's face on it, some fragment of the old abbey's edifice that they had not been able to restore. That woman had made something of herself. She hadn't ruined her career over a man she met in a club. A cold sense of despair settled over Ada. She could not walk back into that room and face the audience again. The audience she had so horribly failed. All because she was stood up by a man. Ada looked up at the sound. A door near the entrance of the gallery slid open ever so slowly. A chill gust of air slipped through the new doorway. But she did not shiver. She felt disconnected from the world around her. Her despair protected her against physical discomfort. Thinking this, she stepped out onto the convent's grounds. 
flyers scattered through the winds like leaves. She saw her own name sail past her on ragged printer paper. Her face smiled out from it, as if taunting her from the past. As if to say, this is how happy you were before your boyfriend ruined everything, before you squandered your chance at greatness. A bitter laugh escaped Ada. Could she even call Dominic that? He was barely a fling, but she had fallen hard for him. And then he vanished, almost like he was never there at all. Something brushed past Otta. It didn't feel like wind. It felt like fabric, threadbare, coarse, and rough, and maybe a little damp on the edges. Her eyes fell to her feet. There was a red spot on the frosty ground, and another, a trail of red leading her away, exactly where she wanted to go. She followed it step by step. With each stride, her movement increased in strength, the farther from her cursed performance space. The trail of red drops finally ended in a small splotch by a bench. She brushed the snow aside. It seemed as good a place to rethink her life as any. Something jabbed against her when she sat down, a piece of broken glass taken from the cracked display case. Otta picked it up. She raised it to her face, turning it over to see the light play through it. Through the glass, she saw a figure appear. A nun, its gown unaffected by the chill breeze around them. In the nun's face, she saw a thousand regrets. A lifetime wasted, love lost, and faith unable to fix her deep, unending sadness. She saw her own failings looking back at her from the nun's wistful expression. She raised the point of the glass to her wrist, touching the vein. The nun raised a hand. Her bloody gown stirred with a strange ripple of its own. Clasped in her dead hands were a pile of ancient coins, an offering. But Ada did not stop. Money would not fix her broken heart or mend her spoiled reputation. The nun smiled sadly. Otta smiled back. The nun bled. Otta bled too. The murdered nun most often appears before couples who are unhappily in love. She watches them quietly from the abbey, only interfering in the direst circumstances. One story tells of a lovesick young woman who came to the convent to commit suicide over a broken heart. The murdered nun appeared before her and pressed gold coins into her hand. The coins were a message of sorts, telling the suicidal woman that she need not squander her own life over a broken heart. Though her visage is terrifying, the nun is a benevolent spirit and she does not want any mortal to suffer the anguish that she has been forced to endure over the centuries. St. Agnes Convent, a place of history, prayer, salvation, and deep tragic loss. Thousands of people passed through its hospital in the 13th century. While most were better for their visit, not all of them found solace within its walls. 
So if you find yourself in Prague's Old Town, be sure to pay a visit to the Old Monastery. Its stone and brick face have seen centuries of faith and prayer, even in the most trying of times. But if you're traveling with a romantic partner, be wary. You might find yourself attracting a famously lonely ghost. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted Places in the search bar. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Kenny Hobbs. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Robert Teamstra. I'm Greg Polson.